Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Welcome. Welcome to the nook to Tales to Terrify. Welcome winter yet again. No, no, there's still been no perceptible snow here in Chicago. But there is cold, there's wind, scudding clouds, and drear forecasts. My time of year. So welcome all. I'm Lawrence Santoro, and... This is show 54 of our weekly Danse Macabre here in the District of Wonders. And what a time we'll have tonight. Tonight, I will try to keep my mouth shut as much as possible. And until the tale is told, anyway. Then, well, <laughs> well, you know me by now. Our story tonight is a wondrous piece of work by Karen Warren. I love the story, and I love the title, The Gaze Dogs of Nine Waterfall. Yum. First, first, let us put on our wellies to spare our feet as we go on another walkabout with Mike Allen, freshly returned from a tour of this year's fluish distemper that many have suffered, he will take us on yet another tour of the abattoir and talk about a film that—well, uh, I, I don't want to mention the name of the film. Spoiler alert. The film is called John Dies at the End. So, does he? Greetings, Tales to Terrify listeners. I'm Mike Allen, and I am proud to welcome you to the very first Tour of the Abattoir of 2013. 
It seems the world survived the end of 2012, and miraculously, so did I, despite the valiant efforts of some enterprising microbes. And by the way, that's why I didn't turn up here in December. I apologize for skipping a month, especially so soon after the October novel deadline that kept me away, but there was just no help for it. My Christmas holiday can be accurately described as a week of phlegm and fever. Not pleasant. The good news for this column is that all those days spent incapacitated by illness meant there was little I could do except read. In the next column, I'll talk about the first book I choked down, Yon Ailde Linkes' gruesome reimagining of the vampire novel Let the Right One In, also known as Let Me In. Now, for this column, I'm going to talk about what proved to be my recovery novel, David Wong's darkly madcap funhouse mirror fusion of alien invasions, zombie infestations, and whatever else he could think of, titled, This Book is Full of Spiders. Seriously, dude, don't touch it. If you're wondering how a horror release from a big publisher gets away with such a goofy title, it'll help you to know that This Book is Full of Spiders is the sequel to Wong's seriously strange cult novel, John Dies at the End. It will also help you to know that David Wong is actually Jason Pargin, a senior editor at Cracked.com. John Dies at the End began as a series of Halloween vignettes Pargin posted on his website, Pointless Waste of Time. The web serial became popular enough that it was eventually collected, edited, and published as a book, a very rambling, episodic book that to my mind sometimes manages to be funny, creepy, or both, and just as often misfires. I finished that novel unable to avoid the conclusion that certain parts functioned better than the whole. Yet I was intrigued enough to pounce right in when my youngest brother gave me a copy of the sequel for Christmas, which I received a few days late thanks to the flu, and was pleased to discover that when Parjan, a.k.a. Wong, set out to create a continuous novel-length narrative, he turned out to be up to the task. Spiders is leaner, much meaner, much creepier, and I would even assert a heck of a lot funnier than its predecessor. We pick up again with ne'er-do-well slackers David and John, two hapless twenty-somethings who still possess the drug-induced ability to perceive supernatural phenomena invisible to everyone else that they acquired in the first book. To get a handle on Dave and John, picture Dante and Randall from Kevin Smith's Clerks trying their hand at paranormal investigations like Mulder and Scully from the X-Files and screwing up at every turn. Dave's amputee girlfriend, Amy, is back for this installment, as is her dog, Molly, who once again proves to be the smartest character in the book. Dave's ability to see the invisible saves him, kind of, despite his own ineptitude, from an attack in his bed by a mysterious mutant spider creature that turns out to be just the first of many to invade his hometown. These spiders enter a victim's body, occasionally through some very unfortunate means, fuse with the human nervous system, and take it over. 
The creatures are able to transform their hosts into tentacled monsters who protrude sharpened spines of bone and can withstand a hail of bullets without dropping. David, who is the smarter but more sullen and passive of the team, and John, who has the can-do spirit but is so reckless that he's as much of a danger to those around him as are the monsters he's fighting, attempt to contain the spider contagion and fail miserably. They end up separated as their town is placed under quarantine. The description I just gave can't quite capture the zaniness of this book, which also involves a network of random teleportation portals in public restrooms, a matter-transforming weapon that turns its target into whatever the wielder happens to be thinking of, layers of shadowy conspiracy and literal shadow people, a monstrous little girl who's afraid of the dark, a velvet Jesus painting, armed-to-the-teeth amateur zombie hunters, and all sorts of other oddities. There's some effectively eerie happenings in the basement of an abandoned tuberculosis hospital and a bleak story twist involving the attempt of some brave souls to escape the quarantine that takes the novel to a new level, out from things-going-bump-in-the-night horror and into much darker man's-inhumanity-to-man horror. However, in the end, Wong is aiming to entertain more than he means to disturb, and we end up safely back in the land of the absurd once the gunfire dies away and the multi-legged worms stop crawling out of people's eyes. And I was entertained. No question. Not that I expect Pargin to hear me or listen to me, but there is one thing I want to take him to task for. He seems to be quite familiar with the cliché that the cool minority character never makes it alive to the end of a horror film. And yet, for two books in a row now, he's resorted to that exact same cliché. If there's a third book in the series, I'd like to see him break this habit. However, I would happily read said hypothetical book to find out if he did. Are there going to be further adventures for David and John? Well, there is indeed another place you can find them. On film. It just so happens that we're coming up on the nationwide release date of the movie adaptation of John Dies at the End, directed by Don Coscarelli, the man behind the Phantasm series of movies, and my favorite horror comedy of all time, Bubba Hotep, starring Bruce Campbell and Ozzie Davis. John Dies at the End, the film, can already be watched through certain pay-per-view services on the Internet, and it just so happens that myself and my buddy Shallon Hurlbert watched it just a couple days ago. We even recorded a long conversation talking about it, but in a stunt straight out of the conspiracy-laden universe that Parjan creates under his David Wong pseudonym, that conversation has gone missing. <laughs> However, <laughs> the Shadow Men and evil all-knowing deity Karak are unable to suppress my opinion which is that Coscarelli took the best parts of this chaotic, disjointed mess and converted it into a chaotic, disjointed, yet consistently weird, hilarious, and hilariously gory flick that, if there's any justice, will take its place beside Bubba Hotep as a cult film for the ages. John Dies at the End has a somewhat bigger budget than Bubba Hotep, but not too big. 
Consistently perfect special effects actually kind of work against a movie like this, where an occasional dose of cheese is an essential part of the charm. Coscarelli does a consistently excellent job of visually realizing the brain-teaser aspects of the novel, especially in the knockout opening sequence involving a philosophical discussion of a revenant beheading axe. Coscarelli simplifies the book, so if you're a purist, if such a thing as a David Wong purist could exist, you're bound to be disappointed. But the scenes from the book that do appear are brought to life with as much loyalty as a B-movie budget allows. Some things you should not expect. A linear storyline. Scenes that consistently make sense. A traditional rising action-slash-climax-slash-denouement narrative. Any sort of neat wrap-up of all the plot threads. Some things you should expect. Surprise penis manifestations. A monster with a store-bought turkey for a head taking a cell phone call. Spontaneous time travel. A character using a bratwurst to take a cell phone call. Exploding eyeballs. A victim of possession named Shitload instead of Legion. A very original application of phantom limb syndrome. A droll and at the end surprisingly touching performance by none other than Paul Giamatti. Though I can't at the moment play it for you, you're going to have to take my word for it, that as we were watching John Dies at the End, Shallon said for the record, it was his new favorite movie. I highly recommend it too. It's hardly a masterpiece, and it shouldn't be a masterpiece. But I think that it does a great job of streamlining its source material for maximum enjoyment, especially for those of us blessed with a sick sense of humor. So, go thou and dig in crooks and crannies and obscure art house theaters, or just use Google Search and seek this movie out. And until next time, folks, stay scared. John Dies at the End, Don Cascarelli's film version of the book, opens soon in Chicago, but it is my understanding that you can watch it now on Amazon. Yes, and I do look forward this weekend, maybe. Well, I love those scarab thingies Don Cuscarelli put in Bubba Hotep with thanks to Joe or Lansdale. So I expect from what I've seen and read so far, I'll enjoy this one too. Seriously, dude. And now... An ad. But a few more days remain. So go to the Starship, Starship Sofa, of course, sign up for Spider Robinson's How to Write Science Fiction Seminar, the which will be held on January 26th, that's a Saturday, at 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Really? It's winter, children. What better to do on a cold Saturday evening but learn a bit? to sit by the mouth of the master as he pours his experience directly into your waiting ears. So, go. Sign up. Now. Fiction. Tonight. As much as I love winter, I have saved tonight's story for a cold, dark winter night. Something like this one. 
because it's a breath of warm air. It spreads a fecundity of warmth over you. You you almost hear the call of animals and the flow of water. It is a lush and enigmatic piece by Miss Karen Warren. We met Karen during our Bram Stoker short fiction binge last year, Six Stoker Hopefuls in Two Weeks. Karen's nominated tale at that time was All You Can Do Is Breathe. It didn't take the Stoker that year, but to my thinking, that is just a matter of time. Karen is Australian. She writes horror, science fiction, and fantasy. And she began doing so at age 14, began sending her stories out when she was 23, and sold her first one in 1993. She's the author of the short story collections The Grinding House, which won the 2006 ACT Writing and Publishing Awards, and Dead Sea Fruit. Her short stories have won both the Dittmar and Aurealis Awards, and I hope I have now finally pronounced that correctly. Her debut novel, Slights, was published by HarperCollins' new Angry Robot imprint in July of 2009. That was followed by Walking the Tree in February 2010 and Mystification in June of 2011. I said this the last time we had its story by Karen. I'm happy that her work is gaining recognition in my part of the world— she has an original voice that is both profound and gut-wrenching. So, while it's winter here in Chicago, it is midsummer in Karen's world. Have a listen to The Gaze Dogs of Nine Waterfall. People will kill for them. I've seen it. One stark-nosed, curly-haired terrier, overdoped and past all use. One ripped-off buyer, one cheating seller. I was just the go-between for that job. I shrank up small into the corner, squeezed my eyes shut, folded my ears over like a puffin dog to keep the dust out. I sniffed out a window, up and out, while the blood was still spilling. It was a lesson to me, early on, to always check the dog myself. I called my client on his cell, confirming the details before taking the job. Ah, Rosie MacDonald, I've heard good things about your husband. I always have to prove myself. Woman in a man's world. I say I'm acting for my husband, and I tell stories about how awful he is, just for the sympathy. I'll bruise my own eye, not with makeup. Show up with an arm in a sling. Some men don't like a woman who can do business, I say, but he's good at what he does. An eye for detail. You need that when you're dealing dogs. I heard that. 
My friend is the one who was after a Lancashire large for his wife. I remembered. The man had sent me pictures. Why would he send me pictures? He says it was a job well done, so you know what I'm after. You're after a vampire dog. Very hard to locate. Nocturnal, you know. Skittish with light. My husband will need a lot of equipment. So you'll catch them in the day when they're asleep. I don't care about the money. I want one of those dogs. My husband is curious to know why you'd like one. It helps him in the process. Doesn't he talk? He's not good with people. He's good at plenty, but not people. Anyway, about the dog. Thing is, my son's not well. It's a blood thing. It's hard to explain, even with a medical degree. My ears ring when someone's lying to me. Even over the phone, I knew he was a doctor. I'd looked him up. What's your son's name? The silence was momentary, but enough to confirm my doubts. There was a son. Raphael, he said, sick little Raphael. He paused. And I want to use the dog like a leech, you know, the bloodletting cure. So you just need the one. Could he get more? He could manage three, but your son get me three. He said. I thought, clinic, five thousand dollars each. Clients in the waiting room reading Nature magazine. There are dogs rare because of the number, some because of what they are or what they can do, and some are rare because they are not always seen. I remember every animal I've captured, but not all of my clients. I like to forget them. If I don't know their faces, I can't remember their expressions or their intent. The Caliburan. I travel to Turkey for this puppy. Outside of their birthplace, they don't thrive. These dogs. There's something about the hunting in Turkey which is good for them. My client wanted this dog because it has a split nose, entrancing to look at, like two noses grown together. The puffin dog, Norwegian Lundhound. These dogs were close to extinction. When a dog lover discovered a group of them on a small island, he bred them up from five, then shared some with an enthusiast in America. Not long after that, the European dogs were wiped out, leaving the American dogs the last remaining. The Americans sent a breeding pair and some pups back to Europe. Not long before her own dogs were wiped out. From those four, there are now about a thousand. The dogs were bred to hunt puffins. They are so flexible, because they sometimes needed to crawl through caves to hunt, that the back of their head can touch their spine. As a breed, though, they don't absorb nutrients well, so they die easily and die young. We have a network. The other dealers and I, 
Our clients want different things at different times, so we help each other out. My associate in Europe knew of four puffin dogs. It's not up to me to ponder why people keep these cripples alive. Animal protection around the world doesn't like it much. I just heard the English RSPCA no longer supports Crufts Dog Show because they say there are too many disabled dogs being bred and shown. Dogs like the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, whose skull is too small for its brain, and a lot of boxer dogs are prone to epilepsy, and some bulldogs are unable to mate or unable to give birth unassisted. It's looks over health. But humans? Same, same. The Bazenji is a dog which yodels. My client liked the sound and wanted to be yodeled to. I don't know how that worked out. Teacup dogs aren't registered and are so fragile and mimsy they need to be carried everywhere. Some say this is the breeder's way of selling off runts. Then there's the other dogs. The black dogs, yellow dogs, the sulphurous beast, the wide-eyed hound, the wished hound, and the hateful thing, the Gabriel hound. I've never been asked to catch one of these, nor have I seen one, but god-awful stories are told. The only known habitat of the vampire dog is the island of Viti Levu, Fiji. I've never been there, but I've heard others talk of the rich pickings. I did as much groundwork as I could over the phone, then visited the client to get a look at him and pick up the money. No paper trail. I wore tight jeans with a tear across the ass and a pink button-up shirt. He was ordinary. They usually are. The ones with a lot of money are always confident. But this one seemed overly so. Stolen riches, I wondered. The ones who get rich by stealing think they can get away with everything. Two heads taller than me, he wore a tight blue T-shirt. Blank. A rare thing. Most people like to plaster jokes on their chests. He didn't shake my hand, but looked behind me for the real person, my husband. I'm sorry, my husband was taken ill. He's told me exactly what I need to do, though, I said. The client put his hand on my shoulder and squeezed. He's lucky he's got someone reliable to do his dirty work, the guy said. He gave me a glass of orange soda, as if I were a child. That's fine. Making money is making money. I told him we'd found some dogs, but not for sale. They'd have to be caught, and that would take a lot more. Whatever. Look, I've got a place to keep them. He showed me into his backyard, where he had dug a deep hole. Damp. The sides smooth, slippery with mud. One push and I'd be in there. 
I stepped back from the edge. So, four dogs, he said. Ask your husband if he can get me four vampire dogs. I will check. My husband, Joe, had his spine bitten half out by a glandular-affected bulldog, and all he could do was nod, nod, nod. Bobblehead, I'd call him if I were a cruel person. I had him in an old people's home, where people called him Young Man and used his tight fists to hold playing cards. When I visit, his eyes follow me adoringly, as if he were a puppy. My real hunting partner was my sister-in-law, Gina. She's an animal psychologist. An animal psychic, too. But we don't talk about that much. I pretend I don't believe in it. But I rely on the woman's instincts. The job wouldn't be easy. But it never is in the world of the rare breed. My bank account full, our husband and brother safe with a good stock of peppermints, Gina and I boarded a flight for Nadi, Fiji. Ten hours from L.A., long enough to read a book, snooze, maybe meet a dog lover or two. We transferred to the Suva flight, a plane so small I thought a child could fly it. They gave us fake orange juice. And then the flight was done. I listened to people talk about local politics, gossip. I listened for clues, because you never knew when you'll hear the right word. Gina rested. She was keen to come to Fiji, thinking of deserted islands, sands, fruit juice with vodka. The heat as we stepped off the plane, was like a blanket had been thrown over our heads. I couldn't breathe in it, and my whole body steamed sweat. It was busy, but not crazy, and you weren't attacked by cabbies looking for business, porters, jewellery sellers. I got a lot of smiles and nods. We took a cab, which would not have passed inspection in New York, and he drove us to our hotel on Suva Bay. There were stray dogs everywhere, flaccid and healthy-looking things. The females had teats to the ground, the pups mangy and unsteady. They didn't seem aggressive, though. Too hot, perhaps. I bought some cut pineapple from a man at the side of the road, and I ate it standing there, the juice dripping off my chin and pulling at my feet. I bought another piece, and another, and then he didn't have any change, so I gave him twenty dollars. Gina couldn't eat. She said the dogs put her off, that there was too much sickness. I didn't sleep well. I felt slick with all the coconut milk I'd had with dinner, with the fish, with the greens with the dessert, and new noises in the place keep me awake, or they entered my dreams in strange ways. I got up as the sun rose and swam some laps. The water was warm, almost like bath water, 
and I had the pool to myself. After breakfast, Gina and I took a taxi out to the latest sighting of the vampire docks, a farm two hours' drive inland. I like to let the locals drive. They know where they're going, and I can absorb the landscape and listen while they tell me stories. The foliage thickened as we drove, dark leaves waving heavily in what seemed to me a still day. The road was muddy, so I had to be patient. Driving through puddles at speed can get you bogged. A couple of trucks passed us, smallish covered vehicles with the stoutest workers in the back. They waved and smiled at me, and I knew that four of them could lift our car out of the mud if we got stuck. The trucks swerved and tilted, and I thought that only Faith was keeping them on the road. The farm fielded dairy cows and taro. It seemed prosperous. There was a letterbox rather than an old juice bottle, and white painted rocks lined the path. There was no phone here, so I hadn't been able to call ahead. Usually I'd gain permission to enter, but that could take weeks, and I wanted to get on with the job. I told the taxi driver to wait. A fetid smell filled the car. Rotting flesh. Oh, Jesus, Gina said. I think I'll wait too. I saw a pile of dead animals at the side of a dilapidated shed. A cow, a cat, two mongooses. They could have been there since the attack a week ago. Wait there, I told Gina. I'll call you if I need you. Breathing through my mouth, I walked to the pile. I could see bite marks on the cow, and all the animals appeared to be bloodless, sunken. You are who? I heard. An old Fijian woman, wearing a faded green T-shirt that said, Nurses know better, pointed at me. She looked startled. There didn't seem any white people out here. Are you from the Fuji Times, she said. We already talked to them. I considered for a moment how best to get the information. She seemed suspicious of the newsmakers. Tired of them. No, I'm from the SPCA. I'm here to inspect the animals and see if we can help you with some money. If there is a person hurting the animals, we need to find that person and punish them. It's not a problem. It is the vampire dogs. I saw them with my own eyes. This was done by dogs. She nodded. A pack of them. They come out of there, barking and yelping with hunger. And they run here and there, sucking their food out of any creature they find. They travel a long way sometimes for new blood. So they live in the hills. I thought she'd pointed at the mountains in the background. When she nodded, I realised my mistake. I should have said, where do they live? It was too late now. She knew what she thought I wanted to hear. They live in the hills. Doesn't anyone try to stop them? 
they don't stop good. They're hot to the touch, and if you get too near, you might burn up. Shooting? No guns. Who has a gun these days? What about a club or a spear? What about a cane knife? What I mean is, can they be killed? Of course they can be killed. They're dogs, not ghosts. Do they bite people? She nodded. If they can get close enough. Have they killed anyone? Or turned anyone into a vampire? She laughed, a big belching laugh which brought tears to her eyes. A person can't turn into a vampire dog. If they bite you, you clean out the wound so it doesn't go nasty. That's all. If they suck for long enough, you die. But you clean it out and it's okay. So what did they look like? She stared at me. Were they big dogs or small? I measured with my hand, up and down until she grunted. Knee high. Fur. What colour fur? No fur. Just skin. Blue skin. Loose and wrinkly. Ears. What were their ears like? She held her fingers up to her head. Like this. And they latched onto your animals and sucked their blood. Yes. I didn't know at first. I thought they were just biting. I tried to shoo them. I took a big stick and poked them. Their bellies. I could hear something sloshing in there. She shivered. Then one of them lifted its head, and I saw how red its teeth were. And the teeth were sharp. Two rows of top and bottom. So many teeth. I ran inside to get my husband. But he had had too much cava. He wouldn't even sit up. Can I see what they did, I said. The woman looked at me. You want to see the dead ones? The buckler? I do. It might help your claim. My claim? You know, the SPCA. I walked back to the shed. Their bellies had been ripped out and devoured and the blood drained, she said. There were bite marks, purplish all over their backs and legs, as if the attacking dogs were seeking a good spot. The insects and the birds had worked on the ears and other soft bits. I took a stick to shift them around a bit. The dogs will come for those buckler. You leave them alone. She waved at the pile of corpses. The dogs? Clean-up dogs. First the vampires, then the clean-up. The yellow master sends them. Yellow master? She shook her head, squeezed her eyes shut. Taboo subject. You wouldn't eat this meat. It seems a waste. The vampire dogs leave a taste behind, the woman told me. A kamikamaka taste the other animals like. One of the men in my village cooked and ate one of those cows. He said it made him feel very good, but now he smells of cowhide. He can't get the smell off himself. Are any of your animals left alive? The woman shook her head. Not the bitten ones. They didn't touch them all, though. Can I see the others? I would look for signs of disease, something to explain the sudden death. 
I wanted to be sure I was in the right place. One cow was up against the back of the wall, leaning close to catch the shade. There was a sheen of sweat on my body. I could feel it drip down my back. Kata, Kata, the woman said, pointing to the cow. She is very hot. It looked all right, apart from that. I could get no more out of her. Gina was sweating in the taxi. It was a hot day, but she felt the heat of the cow as well. Any luck, she said. Some. There's a few local taboos I'll need to get through to get the info we need, though. Ask him, she said, pointing at the driver. He's Hindi. Our taxi driver said, I could have saved you the journey. No Fijian will talk about that. We Hindi know about those dogs. He told us the vampire dogs lived at the bottom of Kiwa Wedekilu. Tiwa Wai Nedeke Ulu, he said. Nine waterfall. In the rainforest, twenty minutes from where we are staying. She said something about a yellow master. A great yellow dog who is worse than the worst man you ever met. I didn't tell him I'd met some bad men. You should keep away from him. He can give great boons to the successful. But there is no one successful. No one can defeat the yellow dog. Those who fail will vanish, as if they have never been. He stopped at a jetty, where some children sold as roti, filled with a soft, sweet potato curry. Very, very good. The girl who cleaned my room was not chatty at first, but I wanted to ask her questions. She answered most of them happily once I gave her a can of Coke. Where do I park? Nekiwa Wadi Kelulu. How do I ask the chief for permission to enter? Is there fresh water? When I asked her if she knew if the vampire dogs were down there, she went back to her housework, cleaning a bench already spotless. These are not creatures to be captured, she said. They should be poisoned. To distract me, she told me that her neighbours had five dogs, every last one of them a mongrel, barking all night and scaring her children. I know what I'd do if I were her. The council puts out notes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Dog poisonings. Keep your dogs in while we kill the strays. So all she'd have to do is let their dogs out while the call was happening. Those dogs be happy to run. They used to leap the fence, tearing their guts until her neighbour built his fence higher. They're desperate to get out. They do a good job with the poisoning, she told me, but not so good with the clean-up. Bloated bodies line the street, float down the river, clog the drains. They don't understand about repercussions and that things don't just go away. The client was pleased with my progress when I called him. So, when will you go in? With the land taboo, I needed permission from the local chief or risk trouble. This took time. Most didn't want to discuss the vampire dogs or the yellow dog king. He was forbidden also. It may be a couple of weeks. Depends on how I manage to deal with the locals. Surely a man would manage better, he said. I know your husband doesn't like to talk, but most men will listen to a man better. Maybe I should send someone else. Listen, I told him, hoping to win him back. I've heard they run with a fat cock of a dog. Have you heard that? People have seen the vampire dogs drop sheep hearts at this dog's feet. He tossed them up like it was a ball, snapped it up. The man smacked his lips. I could hear it over the phone. I've got a place for him, if you catch him as well. If you pay us, we'll get him. There are no bonus dogs. Check with your husband on that. I thought of the slimy black hole he dug. They say that if you take a piece of him, good things will come your way. People don't like to talk about him. He's taboo. So they don't want anyone else taking a piece of him. We moved to a new hotel set amid the rainforest. The walls were dark green in patches. The smell of mould strong. But it was pretty with birdsong. And close to the waterfalls which meant we could make an early start. We ate in the open-air restaurant. Fried fish, more coconut milk, Greek meatballs. Gina didn't like mosquito repellent, thinking it clogged her pores with chemicals, so she was eaten alive by them. Have you called Joe? she asked me of a banana custard. Have you? We smiled at each other, wife and sister ignoring him, back home and alone. We should call him. Does he know what we're doing? I told him, but you know how he is. She was a good sister, visiting him weekly, reading to him, taking him treats he chewed but didn't seem to enjoy. We drank too much for G and beer, 
and we danced around a snooker table using the cues' microphones. Nobody seemed bothered, least of all the waiters. The next morning we called a cab to drop us at the top of the waterfall. You couldn't drive down any further. In the car park, souvenir sellers sat listlessly, their days takings a few coins that jangled in their pockets. Their faces marked with lines, boils on their shins. They leaned back and stared as we gathered our things together. I have shells, one boy said. No turtles, Gina said, flipping ahead at him to show how disgusting that trade was to her. Not turtles, beetles, the size of a turtle. He held up the shell to her. There was a smell about it, almost like an office smell. Cleaning fluids, correcting fluids, coffee brewed too long. The shell was metallic grey and marbled with black lines. Claws out the side, small, odd, clutching snippers. I had seen had eaten prawns with claws like this, bluish and fleshy. I felt like I was eating a sea monster. From the third waterfall, the seller said. All the other creatures moved up when the dogs moved into nine waterfall. I'm in the right place, I thought. So there are dogs in the waterfall. Vampire dogs. They only come out for food. They live way down. An older vendor hissed at him. Don't scare the nice ladies. They don't believe in vampire dogs. You'd be surprised what I believe in, Gina said. She touched one finger to the man's throat. I believe that you have a secret not even your wife knows. If she learns it, she will take your children away. No. Yes. She gave the boy money for one of the shells and opened her large bag to place it inside. He said, You watch out for yellow dog. If you sacrifice a part of him, you'll never be hungry again. But if you fail, you'll die on the spot and no one will know you ever lived. If you take the right bit, you will never be lonely again. I didn't know that I wanted a companion for life. As we walked, I said, How did you know he had a secret? All men have secrets. The first waterfall was overhung by flowering trees. It was a very popular picnic site. Although it took twenty minutes to reach, Indian women were there with huge pots and pans, cooking roti and warming dal while the men and children swam. I trailed my hand in the water. Very cool. Not the pleasant body temperature water of the islands, but a refreshing briskness. Birdsong here was high and pretty. More birds than I'd seen elsewhere. Broadbills, honey eaters, crimson and masked parrots, and velvet doves. Safe here, perhaps. The ground was soft and writhing with worms. The children collected them for bait, although the fish were sparse. Down below, the children told us, 
were fish big enough to feed a family of ten for a week. They liked human bait, so men would dangle their toes in. I guess they were teasing us about this. The path to the second waterfall was well trodden. The bridge had been built with good treated timber and seemed sturdy. The waterfall fell quietly here. It was a gentler place. Only the fishermen sat by the water's edge, children and women not welcome. The fish were so thick in the water they could barely move. The fishermen didn't bother with lines. They reached in and grabbed what they wanted. Gina breathed heavily. Do you want to slow down a bit? I don't think we should dawdle, but we can slow down, I said. It's, it's not that. It's the fish. I don't usually get anything from fish, but I guess there's so many of them. I'm, I'm finding it hard to breathe. The men stood up to let us pass. There are a lot of fish, I said. Sometimes the obvious is the only thing to say. Where do they come from? I asked one of the men. There are so few of them up there. I pointed to the first waterfall. They come from underground, the centre of the earth. They are already cooked when we catch them from the heat inside. He cut one open to demonstrate, and it was true. Inside was white, fluffy, warm flesh. He gestured it at me, and I took a piece. Gina refused. The meat was delicate and sweet, and I knew I would seek without finding it wherever else I went in the world. American, the man asked. New Zealand, Gina lied. Ah, Kiwi, he said, sister. They liked the New Zealanders better than Australians and Americans because of closer distance and because they shared a migratory path. Gina could put on any accent. It was like she absorbed the vowel sounds. I could have stayed at the second waterfall, but we had a job to do, and Gina found the place claustrophobic. It's only going to get worse, I said. The trees will close in on us and the sky will vanish. She grunted. Sometimes I think she found me very stupid and shallow. She liked me better than almost anybody else did. But sometimes even she rolled her eyes at me. The third waterfall was small. There was a thick buzz of insects over it. I hoped not mosquitoes. I'd had dengue fever once before and did not want hemorrhagic fever. I stopped to slather repellent on, strong stuff, which repelled people as well. The ground was covered with small green-shelled cockroaches. They were not bothered by us and I could ignore them. The one on the tree trunks, though, at first I thought they were bark, but then one moved. It was as big as my head, and I couldn't tell how many legs. It had a jaw which seemed to click, and a tail like a scorpion which it kept coiled. I wouldn't touch one, Gina said. Really? 
Is that a vision you had? No, they just look nasty. And we shared a small laugh. We often shared moments like that, even at Joe's bedside. Gina stumbled on a tree root the size of a man's thigh. You need to keep your eyes down, I said. Downcast, modest. Can you do that? Can you? Not really. Joe always liked him feisty. Gina's breath came heavy now and her cheeks reddened. It's going to be tough walking back up. It always is. I don't even know why you're dragging me along. You could manage this alone. You know I need you to gauge the mood, that's why. Still, I'd rather not be here. I'll pay you well. You know that. It's, it's not the money, Rosie. It's what we're doing. Every time I come out with you, it feels like we're going against nature. Like we're siding with the wrong people. You didn't meet the client. He's a nice guy. Wants to save his kid. Of course he does, Rosie. You just keep telling yourself that. I didn't like that. I've been able to read people since I was twelve and it became necessary. Gina's sarcasm always confused me, though. At the fourth waterfall, we found huge stinking mushrooms which seemed to turn to faces. Vines hung from the trees, thick enough we had to push them aside to walk through. They were covered with a sticky substance. I'd seen this stuff before, used as rope to tie bundles. You needed a bush knife to cut it. I'd realised within a day of being here, you should never be without a bush knife, and I'd bought one at the local shop. I cut a dozen vines, then coiled them around my waist. Gina nodded. Very practical. She was over her moment, which was good. Hard to work as a team with someone who didn't want to be there. What did we see at the fifth waterfall? The path here was very narrow. We had to walk one foot in front of the other, fashion models showing off. There were no vines here. The water was taken by one huge fish, the size of a Shetland pony. The surface of the water was covered with roe, and I wondered where the mate was. Another underground channel. It would have to be a big one. It would be big but confining. My husband is confined. I'm happy with him that way. He can't interfere with my business. Tell me how to do things. At the sixth waterfall we saw our first dog. It was very small and had no legs. Born that way. It lay in the pathway and moving... And when I nudged it, I realised it was dead. Gina clutched my arm. Her icy fingers hurt, and I could feel the cold through my layers of clothing. Graveyard, she said. This is their graveyard. The surface of the sixth pool was thick with belly-up fish. At the base of the trees, dead insects, like autumn leaves raked into a pile. And one 
dead dog. I wondered why there weren't more. He has passed through the veil, Gina said, as if she was saying a prayer. We should bury him. We could take him home to a client. He already has a hole dug in his backyard. He's kind of excited at the idea of keeping dogs there. Is there a name for a person who takes pleasure in the confinement of others? We reached the seventh waterfall. We heard yapping and I stiffened. I opened my bag and put my hand on a dog collar ready. Gina stopped, closed her eyes. Puppies, she said. Hungry. What sort? Gina shook her head. We walked on through a dense, short tunnel of wet leaves. At the edge of the seventh waterfall, there was a cluster of small brown dogs. Their tongues lapped the water. Small fish, I thought. And when we approached, the dogs lifted their heads, widened their eyes and stared. Gaze dogs, I said. These were gaze dogs, like I'd never seen before. Huge eyes. Reminded me of the spaniel with the brain too big. Let's rest here. Let them get used to us, Gina said. I glanced at my watch. We were making good time, assuming we caught a vampire dog with little trouble. We could easily make it back up by the sunfall. Five minutes. We leaned against a moss-covered rock, very soft, damp, with a smell of underground. The gaze dogs came over and sniffled at us. One of the puppies had deep red furrows on its back, dragging teeth marks. I had seen this sort of thing after dog fights, dog attacks. Another had a deep dent in its side, filled with dark red scab and small yellow postules. Close up, we could see most of the dogs were damaged in some way. Food supply, Gina said. I shuddered. Not much worried me, but these dogs were awful to look at. One very small dog nuzzled my shoe, whimpering. I picked it up. It was light, weak. I tucked it into my jacket front. Gina smiled at me. You're not so tough. Study purposes. I put four more in there. They snuggled up and went to sleep. She seemed blurry to me. It was darker than before. Surely the sun wasn't further away. We hadn't walked that far. My legs ached as if I'd been hiking for days. At the eighth waterfall, we found the vampire dogs, big Gazing eyes, unblinking, watching every move we made. The dogs looked hungry, ribs showing, stomachs concaved. They, they move fast, Gina whispered, her eyes closed. They move like the waterfall. The dogs swarmed forward and knocked me down, had their teeth into me in a second, maybe two. 
the feeling of them on me, their cold, wet paws heavy into my flesh, but the heat of them, the fiery touch of their skin, their sharp teeth, was so shocking I couldn't think for a moment. Then I pulled a puppy from my jacket and threw it. Their teeth already at work. The dog saw the brown flash and followed it. They moved so fast I could still see fur when they were gone. I threw another puppy, and another vampire dog peeled off with a howl. The first puppy was almost drained, its body flatter, as if the vampire sucked out muscle too. Quick, Gina said, quick. She had tears in her eyes, feeling the pain of the puppies, their deaths in her veins. I threw a third puppy, and we ran down away from them. We should have run up, but they filled the path that way. I needed a place to unpack my bag, pull out the things I'd needed to drop three of them or four. We heard a huffing noise, an old man coughing up a lifetime. We were close to the base, and the air was so hard to breathe we both panted. Gina looked at me. It must be the alpha, the yellow dog. It seemed to me she stopped breathing for a moment. We could try to take a piece of him. We'd never be lonely again if we did that. The vampire dogs growled at us, wanting more puppies. The last two were right against my belly. I couldn't reach them easily. I didn't want to. I don't want to see the ninth waterfall, Gina said. I shook my head. If the vampire dogs were this powerful, how strong would he be? It's okay. I'm ready now. I'll take three of them down quietly. The others won't even notice. Then we'll have to kick our way out. She nodded. We turned around, and he was waiting. That dog. He was crippled and pitiful but still powerful. His tail, his ears, and his toes had been cut off by somebody brave. Chunks of flesh were gone from his side, people using him as sacrifice for gain. Gina was impressive. I could see she was in pain. Was she feeling the dog's pain? She was quiet with it, small grunts. She walked towards him, the closer she got to the dog, the worse it seemed to get. I want to lay my hands on him. Give him comfort, Jean had said. The dog was the ugliest I've ever seen. Of all the strays who've crossed my path, this one was the most aggressive. This dog would make a frightening man, I thought. A man I couldn't control. Drool streamed down his chin. He sat slouched, rolled against his lower back. Even sitting, he reached my waist. All four legs were sprawled. He reminded me of an almost drunk young man, wanting a woman for the night, and willing to forgo that last drink, those last ten drinks to achieve one. Sprawled against the bar, Legs wide, making the kind of display men can. His fur was the colour of piss, that golden colour you don't want to look at too hard. 
and splotched with mud, grease and something darker. One ear was half bitten off. The other seemed to stand straight up, unmoving, like a badly made wooden prosthetic. One lip was split, I think. It seemed blurry at this distance. He licked his balls, and his dog's lipstick stuck out, fully twelve centimetres long, pink and waving. Thousands of unwanted puppies in there. He wasn't threatening. I felt sorry for him. He was like a big boy with the reputation of being a bully who has never hurt anyone. But when we got close to the yellow dog, I realised he was perfect. No bits missing. An illusion to seduce us to come closer. Gina stepped right up to him. Gina, come back! But she wouldn't. If I comfort him, he will send me a companion. A lifetime companion, she said. Come live with me, I said. We'll take some gaze dogs, rescue them. We'll live okay. He reared back on his hind legs, and his huge skull seemed to reach the trees. He lifted his great paw high. Around our feet, the vampire dogs swarmed. I grabbed one, another. I sedated them and shoved them in my carry bag. The yellow dog pinned Gina with his paws. The vampire dogs surrounded him, a thick blue snarling band around him. I threw my last two gaze dogs at them, but they snapped at them too quickly. I had no gun. I picked up three rocks and threw one hard, pretended it was a baseball, and it was three balls, two strikes. The vampire dogs swatted the rock away as if it were a dandelion. I threw another and the last, stepping closer each time. The yellow dog had his teeth at Gina's throat, and I ran forward, thinking only to tear her away, at least drag her away from his teeth. The vampire dogs, though, all over me, biting my eyes, my ears, my lips. I managed to throw them off, though perhaps they let me. The yellow dog sat crouched, his mouth covered with blood. At his paws, I thought I saw hair, but I wondered, what human has been down here? Who else but me would come this far? I backed away. Two sleeping vampire dogs in my bag made no noise and emitted no odour. I was getting away with it. They watched me go, their tongues pink and wet. The yellow dog, again, from afar, he looked kindly. A dear, old, faithful dog. I took two more vampire dogs down, simple knockout stuff in a needle, and I put them in my bag. A soft blanket waited there. No need to damage the goods. I picked up another gaze dog as I walked. This one had a gouge in his back. But his fur was pale brown, the colour of milk chocolate. He licked me. 
I put him down my jacket, then picked up another for a companion. It took me hours to reach the top. Time did not seem to pass, though, unless I'd lost a whole day. When I reached the second waterfall, there were the same fishermen, and the families at the first waterfall, swimming, cooking, and eating, as if there were no horror below them. They all waved at me, but none offered me food or drink. The souvenir salesmen were there at the top. Shells, they said. Buy a shell. No sail for a week, you know. No sail. You will be the first. I didn't want a shell. They came from the insects I'd seen below and didn't want to be reminded of them. I called a cabbie to take me to my hotel. I spent another day finalising arrangements for getting the dogs home. You just need to know who to call. Then I checked out of my room. The doctor was happier than I thought he'd be. Only two dogs had survived, but they were fit and healthy and happily sucked the blood out of the live chicken he provided them. You were right, you work well alone, he said. You should dump that husband of yours. You can manage alone. I'd just come from visiting Joe, and his dry-eyed gaze, his flaccid fingers, seemed deader than ever. The nurses praised me up, glad there was somebody for him. Oh, you're so good, they said, so patient and loyal. He has no one else. Neither do I, I told them. A month or so later, the doctor called me. He wanted to show me the dogs, prove he was looking after them properly. A young woman, dressed in crisp white clothes, answered the door. Come in, she said. You know who I am? Leading me through the house, she gave me a small wink. Of course. I wasn't sure I liked that. She led me outside to the backyard. It was different. He tiled the hole, and it was now a fish pond. The yard was neater, and lounge chairs, and what looked like a bar, were placed in a circle. Six people sat in the armchairs, reading magazines, sipping long drinks. He didn't tell me there was a party. Take a seat. Doctor will be with you shortly, the young woman said. Three of the guests looked at their watches, as if waiting for an appointment. I studied them. They were not a well group, quiet and pale. All of them spoke slowly and lifted their glasses gently, as if in pain or lacking strength. They all had good, expensive shoes, gold jewellery worn with ease. The doctor had some wealthy friends. They made me want to leap up, jump around, show off my health. The young woman came back and called a name. An elderly woman stood up. Thank you, nurse, she said. It all clicked in then. I'd been right. 
The doctor was charging these people for treatment. It was an hour before he dealt with his patients and called me in. The vampire dogs rested on soft blankets. They were bloated, their eyes rolling, they could barely lift their heads. You see, my dogs are doing well. And so are you, I take it. How's your son? He laughed. You know there's no son. He gave me another drink. His head didn't wobble. We drank vodka together, watching the vampire dogs prowl his yard, and a therapist would say my self-loathing led me to sleep with him. I crawled out of the client's bed at 2 or 3 a.m., home to my gaze dogs. They were healing well and liked to chew my couch. They jumped up at me, licking and yapping, and the three of us sat on the floor, waiting for the next call to come in. When I was twelve, I found a book at what used to be called a white elephant sale. This was at an end-of-the-school-year festival. The book was a large, generously illustrated volume from 1870-something or another called The Natural History of Man, being an account of the manners and customs of the uncivilized races of man by the Reverend J.G. Wood. The book was heavy. The pages were thick, brittle. They smelled of dust and years, and in its thousand or so leaves, the Reverend Mr. Wood revealed a life of travel to the far corners of the world. My chums, Terry Hebhart, Cliffy Mahler, Missy and Trissy Fritz and I, spent hours with that book in our hideout, away from parents. Yes, there were pictures, steel engravings, images by the hundreds of artifacts, war hammers, human bone, tattooing combs, canoes, and things who knew what. There were native costumes and costumeless natives, which caused Terry, Cliffy, and me to subtly reassess Missy and Trissy, I must say. But the five of us touched heads and pored over that book for hours, read aloud to each other, pointed at the pictures, touched the pages. An aboriginal tribe smoking the bodies of its slain warriors, of the tree tombs of Australia, the monkey men of the Durga Strait, the tattooing arts of Samoa, the fate of a Fijian boaster. Bushes tied to him and set alight, and he sent running into the forest. One of the best voyages in the book, one with which Terry, Cliff, Missy, and Trissy and I spent hours, featured stories of the cannibals and culinary arts among the Fiji islanders, who were, according to the Reverend, much given to the cultivation and consumption of long pig. <laughs> and I wonder now if that's where the central idea for a story of mine called Root Soup Winter Soup came from. I hadn't thought about that in blow these many years. Ah, anyway, I, I took a long way round again, but it, it leads me to this. 
Karen Warren actually lived in Fiji. Yeah, Fiji. Fiji. When we decided to go to Fiji, Karen says, I imagined it the way most people do, an island paradise. It is partly that, but mostly it isn't. The islands and resorts are what we know about, but it is an incredibly layered place. The culture, the people, and the history actually inspired a lot of work, I can imagine. The Gaze Dogs of Nine Waterfall was inspired by the stray dogs you see everywhere. It was also inspired by a newspaper article telling of the vampire dogs that were taking animal stock. The accepting tone of the article gave me the idea for the story, she says. Well, Karen now lives in Canberra, Australia, with her husband, children, two cats, and apparently rats in the roof, she says. <laughs> her website is karenwarren.wordpress.com, and she tweets at Karen Warren. And by the way, she spells her name K-A-A-R-O-N-W-A-R-R-E-N. She says she made up that spelling because there was a plethora of Karens in her year at school, and she wanted to stand out. Even at 17, she says, I wanted my writing to be remembered and thought a memorable spelling would help. Well, you're memorable, Karen. Spelling aside... Gay's Dogs of Nine Waterfall was published first in Exotic Gothic 3 and was included by Ellen Datlow in her Year's Best Horror 2 and was read for us tonight by Kim Lakin-Smith. Kim is one of our writer-narrators about which I've frequently said blesses our readings here in the Nook. She has a background in performance and is a regular guest speaker at writing workshops and conventions and is also the author of Tourniquet, Tales from the Renegade City from Imanian Press in 2007. In 2011, Newcon Press published her Cyber Circus. In 2012, her young adult novella Queen Rat was published by Murky Depths. Her fantasy and science fiction have appeared in Black Static, Interzone, Celebration, Myth Understandings, Further Conflicts, Pandemonium Stories of the Apocalypse, and others. In 2009, her Johnny and Emmy Lou Get Married was shortlisted for the BSFA Short Story Award. And thank you, Kim. Speaking of books, by the book, by the book, 24 stories by 23 great writers and one decent one. So, by the book. You know the one I mean. Click on the tag on the page and buy the book. And that will nearly do it for the evening. So, you may be up and doing, bright and chipper. Gather your things, drop your cups by the sink, just brush the crumbs on the floor. Mahler, the ink-black cat of the nook, and his supervisor, the lovely Miss Tabitha, will come round to clean up. And as you dress, remember the book, the buy-the-book book, that one. 
Remember Spider Robinson's class at the Starship Sofa. Remember to make a contribution toward the running of this place by making a donation. Remember to say nice things about us on iTunes. And remember to like us on Facebook and join in the discussions there. And remember, as you make your way home, keep your ears tweaked for the sound of critters in the night. I've heard no recent reports of vampire dogs, gays, mutts, or other such pooches here. We have the usual bounty of urban beasts, squirrels, rats, voles, raccoon, opossum, and coyote. I've mentioned them before, but yes, we, in fact, have more than 60 coyotes employed by the city of Chicago and fitted with radio collars. They roam parks, alleys, yards, thoroughfares. They are tasked with eating the aforementioned beasties, the rats, the possums, the voles. You never can tell, of course. There have been no complaints, but one of those tagged and tracked critters could turn rogue, I suppose, decide rats are all too quick and voles much too crafty, and that at his age he's more interested in chasing long pig. Well, I have heard neighbors talking about missed dogs, and, well, probably not. You're probably safe, so go home, and when you arrive, and you've fed your cat, as you climb into bed and begin to hear a fictive echo of downpour water inside your head, cast a thought to those adorably chubby vampire dogs and let them bring you pleasant dreams. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.